please join me in the litany of invitation and confession. We give God praise and thanksgiving on this good day. Let us worship God together. God has fed us in the wilderness and has gifted us in times of plenty and promise. We bring our tears of grief to God. We also bring our gratitude and our joy. God nourishes the earth. God nourishes our lives. However, we confess that too often we have neglected God's gifts rather than expressing our gratitude for them. We ask God to forgive us of our ingratitude and false pride. We pause for a moment of silent confession. Beloved in Christ, our God is merciful and full of grace. We are forgiven. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church on this good Sunday. And Muriel, especially, we want to welcome you, who have, you have not been able to come lately. I'm glad you're here today. You picked a good day. It's our Festival of Thanksgiving Sunday. It's the day that we celebrate how God has been present with us and how God is present with the world, nourishing and life-giving to it. If you're a guest here with us today, um, we want to welcome you. There is on the edge of your order of service a response card uh, so that if you're a guest, if you'll complete that, drop it in the offering plate. It'll help me connect name and face. Also, if there's a prayer request that you have, feel free to place that on the sheet as well. Drop it in the plate. And it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. Well, there's something different here, isn't there? Look at this wonderful gift of uh, many different kinds of food that our missions ministry team and our flower ministry team, plus the children this morning, helped bring and make possible. As they brought this forward, I was thinking about how beautifully this is arranged. It will be tonight when we host the community Thanksgiving service, and then tomorrow... It'll go to feed some hungry people. It'll go to Urban Recipe, which is uh, run by Jeremy Lewis, one of our former members that we helped rear. And he leads that in sort of southeast uh, Atlanta. So all of this food will go there. But thanks to all who made this uh, decorative and nutritional day uh, possible. We'll be hearing three texts today, three scripture lessons. And it's the first one that I'll be preaching from. You'll hear it read in just a moment. It's from Psalm 126, and you'll probably recognize the words of it, especially at the end, because one of our uh, songs that we often sing is uh, built upon it. It says something about, Blessed are those who go out weeping, returning, and bringing their sheaves with them. It's about bringing in the sheaves. Let's open our hearts and our ears as we hear from the book. Welcome. God's presence and restoration bring joy and gratitude. A reading from a psalm. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. 
Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Here ends the first lesson. And now let's say our prayers together. God of all blessings and source of life and giver of all grace, we gather once more in your presence to begin a new week. But this week, O oh God, is a bit different from previous weeks, for we begin the journey into the holiday season. Looming before us are plans for travel, family gatherings, tables full of good food, football games, and shopping trips. Our to-do list becomes long, and our time gets overextended. So God, before we get swept up in the busyness and noise of the season, we pause for a moment in the quiet of this sanctuary to be still and to offer our prayers of gratitude for those things that matter most. We thank you, O oh God, for the gift of life, for our very breath that sustains life, for the food of this earth that nurtures life, and for the love of family and friends, without which there would be no life. We thank you, O oh God, for the mystery of creation, for the beauty of colorful autumn leaves that the eye can see, for the joy of bird songs that the ear can hear, for the unknown we cannot behold that fills the universe with wonder, and for the expanse of space that draws us beyond the definitions of ourselves. We thank you, O oh God, for the variety of people who grace our lives, for families who nurture our becoming, for friends who love us by choice, for children who lighten our moments with delight, for companions at work who share our daily tasks, and for people from other cultures and faith traditions who call us to grow in our understanding. And finally, we thank you, O oh God, for this very day, for one more day to see the sunrise, for one more day to gather with this family of faith to worship and fellowship together, for one more day to show kindness, for one more day to work for justice and peace, and for one more day to experience your presence in our lives, O oh God. For these and all blessings, we give you thanks. May our hearts overflow with gratitude today, on Thanksgiving Day, and throughout all the holiday season. May our gratitude for what we have be stronger than the messages of the season that tempt us to want more. Now hear us, O God, as we join our voices together to pray the prayer our Lord and Savior taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Prayers are to be made in behalf of all people, because Christ is a gift of love for all people. A reading from the first letter of Paul to Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. 
I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Here ends the second lesson. Boys and girls, come forward and meet me on the chancel steps. And we'll talk and pray. That's a good place to sit, and that's a good place to sit, and a good place, and a good place. And we've got room for some more. Come on in. Come on in. All right. Let's see. There's a big holiday this week, isn't it? Thanksgiving. It is Thanksgiving. What do we do on Thanksgiving Day? We eat. Yeah, I like that. Uh, and what else do we do? We be thankful. That's right. Anything? We, we tell people what we're thankful for. Oh, that's good. What are you thankful for? Mm, my family. Family. Oh, that's a good thing to be thankful for. Anybody else thankful for something? Sebastian? My pet. Your pet. All right. Oh, cool. That's cool. Well, and video games. Well, let's... Uh, Let's say on Thanksgiving Day, somebody said we eat a lot, and we do eat a lot. What's your, what's your favorite Thanksgiving Day food? Um, mashed potatoes Ma- with marshmallows. Marsh pota- mashed potatoes with marshmallows. Okay, good. Nobody eats pizza for Thanksgiving, pizza. right? No. Oh, no, that I wouldn't saw, work. I saw this Thanksgiving video at, at my school where, where someone couldn't find a turkey and they had to Oh my goodness, well, may that not be. Well, we're going to eat some food on Thanksgiving Day because we have food to give thanks for. And all of this is good food that some hungry people are going to eat. But did you know that there are boys and girls in the world that won't have any food on Thanksgiving Day? Isn't that, isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Sometimes the, that some people say that one out of every five children are hungry every day. That would be one, two, three, four, five. You would be hungry today. You are kind of hungry. <laughs> well, you see the, the envelopes that you brought and that Pastor Daniel picked up? Did you know that some of that money will go to feed some hungry families around Atlanta and other places? We have a part of, of the money that we spend that goes to the Hunger Fund. And we give some money to the Atlanta Food Bank that feeds hungry people. And so on this Thanksgiving Day, we will give thanks to God for God's giving us good food to eat. But also we need to pray to God for those people that are hungry and ask God to help us know how to be good helpers too and help feed them, right? Let's say that prayer. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for so much good food and family and friends that we celebrate on Thanksgiving. But help us know how to help others and make sure that everybody has plenty to eat this week. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can go back now.
Jesus invites us to trust God while seeing the kingdom of God. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need, the, need all these things. But instead, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you have heard me tell the story that happened years ago when I was a hospital chaplain, that one day a colleague of mine was sitting at our desk, and it opened to the hallway, our office did, that connected the doctor's building with the hospital. So there was a lot of traffic always going to and fro. And one day, about this time of year, a colleague was sitting at the desk, and he heard the squeak, squeak, squeak of a wheel coming up the hallway. Just as the sound passed in front of the door, he saw what it was. It was a man in a wheelchair being pushed by a woman. Just as the wheelchair, the man and the woman, passed in front of the door, he heard one of them say, Well, this year, there ain't going to be no Thanksgiving. This year, there ain't going to be no Christmas. This year... There ain't going to be no nothing. And then they disappeared into the crowd and in the hospital. We talked about what, what could have happened in their lives that so eclipsed the joy and the gift of the seasons at the end of the year. I mean, we speculated maybe the diagnosis was finally made, and with that, a great weight was put on their shoulders. It could have been that the prognosis was readjusted. We've been trying this, but it's not working, and we don't need to go further. Maybe that was it. Of course, I always speculated that the business office had showed them their bill, and that would certainly eclipse the end of the year, if not more. But there are some that so all of us have experienced things like that, right? That some event comes in our lives that has the power to obscure nearly everything. It's like staring through something that's right in front of your eyes. I could identify with them, and I know that you can as well, because you've had times like that. You've told me stories of when that kind of cloud moved over your life. I have had times like that and shared some of those. Uh, you've been watching me limp around for a few weeks, it's given me a sympathy for all of you who go through chronic pain, those who go day after day after day, and how it messes with your mind. It messes with your energy and your capacity. I'm learning about that. So you know, I know, and the Hebrew poets knew. The Hebrew poets who wrote the Psalms and had in their backlog the story of being in bondage in Egypt. They knew about that. They knew about the exodus of when God delivered them from Egypt. They knew about that. This particular poet also knew of the exile 
where he had gone to faraway Babylon, 600 miles away from Jerusalem. And it was there that he offered this poem. I can imagine that at the end of that exile, as those who wanted to return returned, somebody said, well, let's, let's bring our hymn book back. Let's bring a hymn book. And I've often wondered, those that were on the hymn book committee, how they go about deciding about that? We had a hymn book committee uh, who did time a few years ago. Was, what, in the exile, did they have a thousand different psalms to pick from? Was there 500? Were there 300? They settled on 150 for some reason, and the 150 psalms made it into our Bible. My hunch is somebody spoke up and said, well, I don't care which one we, we, we cut out, but don't cut out 126 because that is my story. As Israel went home, the psalmist gave them something to take with them. It's the first aid kit for grief and a utility belt for gratitude. For in this psalm, the songwriter holds two human experiences in tension the gravity of grief, and the buoyancy of gratitude. Let's look at those two. Some of you get uh, a daily email from Richard Rohr. He is a Catholic uh, priest who lives in New Mexico, prolific writer. And you may have seen that statement that he made that's worth quoting. He says that pain that is not transformed is transferred. Pain that is not transformed is transferred. In other words, that we can project it onto others. We can project it beyond its source. That our anger and resentment and bitterness can take such root that instead of coming to terms with our pain, we transfer it to somebody else. There's always collateral damage. You know, they take a medical history when we go to the hospital. Shouldn't we take an emotional history as well? That what was going on in generations before us in the family has a way of trickling down and finding us in our generation? Why, sometimes I've even been known to bring my hurt to church. Like one pastor said, I'm tired of people working on their marriage in committee meetings. (laughs) <laughs> because we can, take, we can take our struggles that are in one context and bring them to another context. What the psalmist says so poetically is, go ahead and cry. Just go ahead and cry. You've heard me, you've heard me say that tears are prayers who have not yet found their words. Go ahead and pray. You know, in ancient times, tears were saved in those little uh, bottles. If you travel to the Holy Land, you've seen those. Uh, One name for them is uh, lacrimatories. Lacrimatories. Where the tears were collected. It was said that, say like, if a husband went off to war, gone two or three years, that the wife might save her tears in these bottles so that she could show him how much she missed him. In some of the graves, they would bottle up the tears of the mourners and bury those with the person to signify the loss to the family and the community. In Psalms, it says that God values the tears of the saints and keeps them in a bottle. Another psalmist said, At night I soak my pillow with my tears. We all have a lot to cry about these days, don't we? I mean, I mean you, can, you can choose not to watch the news, and there's some that do that. It's not something that I can choose. There's just so much to grieve about the polarities that have always been, I suspect, in America, but now are more visible and more painful than ever. The psalmist would say, plant your tears, plant your losses, trust them to God, put them in the ground of God, and may the loss be transformed into something that you can harvest, that we can learn from our pain 
like empathy, like reaching out, and like trying to help one another. It's the action of sharing. It might be a good time to remind, like I was saying to the children, the monies that we give and the pledge cards that you turn in go to a lot of different places of ministry. And one way to address our need for gratitude is to turn that in as a symbol of gratitude. The loss is transformed into a harvest. I believe that this is at least part of what's behind the Me Too movement, that it takes pain and transforms it finally, rather than keeping it a secret for all the years, to release it and find that you're not a soloist, but a choir member. And in naming that, the pain doesn't hold you hostage as much anymore. This is the kind of world we live in as we try to move from our victim status to bringing our voices to the table. I was looking over some old notes this week, and I I found an old uh, sermon by John Claypool, uh, your former pastor, Donette. Uh, All of us have preached a lot of John's sermons. (laughs) This pulpit has heard plenty of them. I was reading one he, he preached on Uh, regarding thanksgiving, about the ambiguity of thanksgiving. He told again the the pilgrim story of in in, uh, 1620, how they headed off in two ships from England, but one of them leaked like a sieve. They had to turn back. Some of those people went home, but some of them got on the Mayflower so that 105 were on the Mayflower battling the seas all the way over. They missed their landing zone. They meant to land further south. They ended up in New England. It was cold. And by the first anniversary, half of them had died. So now they were down to about 50. Claypool says that there was a discussion among the remainder, remaining 50, of what shall we do on this anniversary event, the one-year anniversary. Half of them said, well, we need to have a day of mourning. Because we've all lost family members. We've barely survived. We need to have a day of mourning. And that occupied some discussion. But then there were also about half of them that said, no, we need to have a day of thanksgiving. That we survived at all is a miracle. That the Indians, the Native Americans who were there, had befriended them, helped them plant corn, helped them harvest, helped them find enough food and shelter. We have more to be thankful for than we do to grieve about. According to Claypool, it must have been the thankful ones that won out, maybe 51%. But they declared it as a day of thanksgiving, and so it has been ever since. He challenged the congregation at the end to say, if ever you come to a fork in the road where you have to choose one or the other, I encourage you to choose gratitude. He said of all the things that had happened to them that first year, it could have been that that one decision of how they were going to choose to respond to the circumstances of life may have turned the tide and gave them the stamina to go on. Well, as you go on this week, and as we live this week all through Thanksgiving Day, you can probably imagine that in that opening story I had, we've been all the characters in it. Some of us have been in the wheelchair because we needed someone to care for us and be a caretaker to us. Some of us have been the one pushing the wheelchair. We were the caregiver. We were the caretaker. And others of us have overheard the story. But wherever we are in that hallway, we are all in the presence of God. And somehow, the grief that we carry May it be transformed into gratitude, even this week, even this moment. Amen.
It is our tradition that when a word is spoken, an invitation to dedication is given. And as we sing, we make commitments to God. We bring all of who we are to all of whom we know God to be. We're going to sing a hymn that may be new to some of us. Sing to the Lord of Harvest. The choir will sing the first stanza, and then we will join them in singing the second and third. But let's go ahead and stand and listen. Several families I want to tell you about that have been touched by grief in the, in the last few days uh, that have asked for prayers. Uh, for the families of uh, Katie Severin, who was a, a church friend of Beth Laxton and her parents, Katie was killed in a car accident this week. For the family of Jordan and Patty Clark and Dorset and Preston, who had a family friend named Patrick Braxton Andrew, it was discovered that he was killed in Mexico this week. We pray. I got news this morning that our own Joel Stouffer's mother, Barbara, died last night at 11.15. Don't have any news about the arrangements. We'll be in touch about that. We'll be praying for Joel this morning. For Lyndall Caldwell, who is the uncle to Sabrina Thomas, hospitalized with pneumonia, and they are with the their uncle now, we pray. And for the Thomas family, we pray. 
for Liz Harris-Lampkin, who is in Asheville with her brother, Phil Harris, who is on hospice care, we pray. And for all of you that have your own concerns, uh, we, we lift you up. Jordan, I'd like to ask you to come forward at this point. Jordan Clark is going to bring a, a stewardship message to us this morning. Thank you, Jordan. Good morning. Uh, Pat and I have been members here for over 30 years now, and I know that some things have just never changed. Uh, it seems like some mechanical system or another is always acting up and cantankerous. Uh, the undercroft is always musty. Uh, the music is always moving. I'm grateful for that. Um, and we're always either completing or planning some interfaith habitat for Humanity Project. I'm really proud of that, too. Lately, though, some things have changed. On All Saints Sunday, James called the names of ten of our friends who won't be with us in the years ahead. That's different. However, I'm also told by Mary Lou that we now have 35 children, and I hope Louise Davis can hear this. We have 35 young children participating in our church programs now. That's, that's very different. In our parking lot out here, there lies a steeple that was the symbol of this church for decades. It's not there. But out here, we've laid out a pavilion, a covered pavilion, which I understand is, is going to be built and will provide a place for picnics and social gatherings and family reunions for decades and decades to come. So I really celebrate how we're leaning into our families and our young children. In recent years, I've become a grandfather and a school teacher, and education is becoming increasingly important to me. I love the traditions of our church, but in addition, as I think about the 2019 Clark Family Pledge, I think about an investment Pat and I are making in the children and the young families, and specifically our Sunday school. I was recently teaching Rembrandt to my students, 17-year-old students, who are all wonderful young people, very smart young men and women. But I was struck that they did not know the Bible stories that I was trying to explain that Rembrandt illustrated. They don't know who Bathsheba is. They don't know about Pilate washing his hands. They don't know about Peter's denial. And they can get along fine in life without knowing about Bathsheba. But there are other things they learn in Sunday school that they're going to miss out on. They get to hear a lot on the television about God-given inalienable rights. But unless they attended Sunday school, they never heard the scripture from those to whom much has been given, much is required. They get plenty of opportunity to hear the phrase, stand your ground, but it's only in Sunday school that they would have learned the golden rule. I'm really proud and grateful for Northside Drive Sunday school teachers past and present. They've taught my children, and now I have three grandchildren here they're teaching. And while I don't know where the winds will scatter the 35 young people that are here today in our children's programs, I know that they'll be better citizens and better people because of what they have learned attending Northside Drive Baptist Church. I know of no more important investment to make than one which supports the missions and ministry of this church. Pat and I invite you to join with us in your pledge toward the 2019 budget. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jordan. Appreciate your passion and enthusiasm. And amidst all the grief that we announced, uh, as life is complicated, we also have our joy as we gather around the table for Thanksgiving. Things to look forward to this week. We'll hear a song of joy and gratitude by our sanctuary choir, Psalm 148, set to music by the composer Gustav Holst.
have been broken open by the choir song. For we have all said Alleluia. We have all praised you in all our ways. 
So as we go our ways this week, may we serve. May these tithes and offerings be symbols of that service. And so now in this week of gratitude, now thank we all our God in Christ's name. Amen. As we prepare to go, remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage and give you gratitude this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace.
Check one, two, check one, two, check one, two, check one, two. Test one, two.